I love that hymn. Day by day. There's the, the line in there. Alicia and I once sang that together back, I don't know, years ago before we were pastors or anything like that. And uh, we sang it once at church where we were attending. But that line, help me, Lord, when toil and trouble meeting. You, that point in your life, you're working hard and still you got trouble. Air to take is from a father's hand, not to treat toil and trouble of life as necessarily an indication that God's not with me, but to receive it as a part of this life and as a part of our opportunity to witness for the Lord. That's actually very key to what I want to talk to you about today as we go on with our series, but let's begin with prayer. Father in heaven, I pray that your spirit will be with us. We talked about eyes that gain their sight, and we talked about ears that recognize your voice. Now help us, Lord, to be able to apply what we see and hear and truly believe. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been on a little mini-series mini here, three works, weeks' worth, on the subject of believing. Now, just to give you a reminder of what lies ahead, next Sabbath we're going to start the series that will take us uh, through the fall down to around the time of Thanksgiving. And uh, the uh, name of that series that we'll start next week will be Candles. So when you get here next week, you're going to see uh, some banners and some things related to that. And we're going to be focused on the first five chapters in the book of Revelation. We're going to key mostly on chapters two and three for the bulk of the series as we reflect on the seven churches in the book of Revelation and what we can learn there. So that's coming up. Look for that coming up. We're also going to prepare small group studies. The first week that you will want to do the studies, if you've had a group and you want to get that group together or you want to do it uh, for the first time, just get folks together. We'll put the studies together. We'll make them available after the worship service next Sabbath. And you use them that week, and it'll be a study preparing you for the Sabbath coming up. So uh, not one next week, but the week after that, you'll come to church. You can pick them up here, or they'll be available online. And uh, then you'll use them to do small group studies that next week. And they'll continue for each of the weeks that we consider each of the seven churches. So look for that coming up and get ready to be a part of that. But we have one more week to talk about believing. And once again, we're going to start this week in the chapter that we focused on last week. You remember a couple weeks ago we were in John chapter 9. And then last week we primarily were in John chapter 10, but we started in chapter 9 in order to understand 10. Well, this week we're going to be in John chapter 11, but once again, we've got to start in 10 if we're really going to understand 11. So let's go back. Part of this we read last Sabbath, John chapter 10, beginning in verse 22. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. That's kind of an interesting reference. Very rarely does the Bible ever reference weather. 
But occasionally it will. And in this case, John mentions it was winter and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. Apparently, this was an area, I've heard it speculated that this was an area of the temple where the sun shone in and it was a little warmer in that part. And so that's the context of the reference of it being winter. If we'd have been there at that time, we'd understand this. But that's one of those inclusions there in the Bible that that we can't always know for sure, but it seems those two concepts are related, that it was winter, therefore Jesus was walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were gathered around him, the Jews were gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Okay, they're asking Jesus the identity question. Who are you? strange man who walks around and does strange things in our midst. Verse 25, Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Now, you remember from last Sabbath, if you were here, we had that video of the shepherd. The others go and try to call the sheep in the field, and they don't respond at all. But the shepherd goes to the edge of his field and calls, and all the sheep look up, and they start to answer. And before long, they've all run and gathered around the shepherd, and he goes in there, and they follow after him. This is what Jesus is teaching us, that if we are his sheep, we will hear his voice, we will see him, and we will follow Verse 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Now that's where I ended last week because Jesus will say one more thing and it kind of introduces a whole new story. So here we go, verse 30. I and the Father are one. Jesus goes there. Verse 31, again his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, and this is one of my favorite lines in the whole Bible right here, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? I love that line. I love that answer. I have shown you many good works. For which of these are you planning on stoning me? The point Jesus is making is to live completely contrary to what you're seeing and hearing and to hang on to something that's going to make you hostile to me is crazy and proves that you're not my sheep. For which of these good things I've done are you going to kill me? Verse 33, we are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. So here we go. Their position is you are claiming to be God and we know that can't be true. Aren't you glad we weren't there and we didn't have to wrestle with this? That would be hard, wouldn't it? With all the things you've learned, all the things you know, all the things about blasphemy you've come up with in the Old Testament, and now here is this man who's doing all these amazing things, 
and making claims like this? That would be hard. It's like the Pharisees in chapter 9. They say, uh, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. Well, how does that work? I'm glad sometimes that I wasn't there to wrestle with these things. And as so often happens at a time like this, Jesus, rather than responding directly to them, sets them in confusion. John 10, verse 34, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are God's? He sets them in confusion, and likely us as well as we read that text. If you didn't know what's going on here, he's quoting Psalm 82. You should read Psalm 82 sometime. We don't have time to go through it today. But the key to the reference Jesus is making seems to be centered in doing the works of God. But let's go on here. John 10, verse 35. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. So do you see Jesus' argument here? If you're not going to believe my words, at least believe what I've done and acknowledge these things could only have come from the Father, and the Father must be in me. Was Jesus doing the works of the Father? Well, we remember in John chapter 9, do you remember that strange story of how he heals the man born blind? He heals the man who, from his birth, has deficiency of eyes. Who knows if he even had eyes the way he should have. You remember he takes mud and wipes it on the man and he goes and washes and how this is symbolic of creation at the beginning where God took mud and formed man and breathed into him the breath of life. So now here Jesus is using mud again to create eyes. It's very much a claim of divinity. And in John chapter 10, despite these works that Jesus has done, they ask him to plainly tell them if he is the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. And so Jesus says, yeah, I am. And so what do they do? They take up stones to stone him. But Jesus escapes because his time has not yet come. And in verse 40 we read, Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, Though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. Now verse 42 is important. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. All right. We're ready to start chapter 11 now. We have our context. Jesus has just had this encounter, and then he's gone away because of the hostility. We're ready for chapter 11, verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. 
He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, contained within the message is, I believe, an expectation. And you can't blame them for this expectation. You can't blame them for thinking, if Jesus does such amazing works for strangers, if he gives sight to eyes that have never seen, to a man he doesn't even know, just imagine what Jesus will do for his friends. And beyond that, how tirelessly he will protect his friends the ones that he loves, how he will save them from all heartache and from all hardship. That seems reasonable, right? All you need to do is call on him with your needs, right? And in fact, he doesn't even have to come to where you are. You remember the story of the centurion? He goes to Jesus and he says, my servant needs help. Jesus says, I'll come and heal him. He says, oh, no, no, I understand you. You don't have to do that. Just speak the word and he'll be well. All Jesus had to do upon getting this message was speak the word. John 11, verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Okay, here's the troubling connection between John 11 and John 9. Do you remember how the man born blind, the question comes up, did he sin or his parents that this happened? And what does Jesus say? He says, no, this happened that the glory of God might be revealed in his life. He's been blind his whole life so that he can come to this day and the glory of God be revealed. It puts a strange twist on suffering, doesn't it? Now, all of a sudden, we have linked in John 11 with John 9, where we see again Jesus saying, no, this case of suffering is that God might be glorified and God's Son revealed. Kind of puts an interesting spin on what it means to be the means by which God is glorified, doesn't it? Have you ever sung this song? Do you remember this song? In my life, Lord, be glorified, be glorified. In my life, Lord, be glorified today. You've heard that one? Sung that one? Meant it from your heart? How committed are you to those words? How about this? Lord, be glorified by prospering me greatly. I'm committed to that. How about this? Lord, be glorified in my life by your deliverance after I go through a short struggle. Okay. Not my first choice, but maybe. How about this? Lord, be glorified through a lifelong struggle. You ready to commit to that? How about this? Lord, be glorified in my death. 
How about this? Lord, let my life cause someone to believe no matter the cost. Yeah, it's uncomfortable, isn't it? Do you know why John wrote his gospel? He tells us. I appreciate this about John. John chapter 20, verse 30. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written, why is it written? Here it is. That you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Why was John's gospel written? So that you would believe the true identity of Jesus, that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. It's the confession of Peter. Do you remember that encounter with Peter? When he says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then he says, upon this rock I will build my kingdom. Not upon Peter, upon the rock of this confession. The confession of the conviction about the identity of Jesus. That he is the Messiah, the anointed one to come, and the Son of God. This is the foundation of the faith. It is the most important realization any human will ever make and the awakening to truth that we are to give our lives to see take place in others. Now we're going to see this confession coming up in this story. So let's go back. John chapter 11, verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he immediately got up, packed his things, and headed to Bethany to help out. Is that how the Bible reads? No, that's how we would rather have it read, wouldn't we? No, it says, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Verse 7, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. That's not an idle worry. I mean, we just read this at the beginning, right? From John chapter 10, they took up stones to stone him. This is not an idle worry. Verse 9, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Okay, well, they probably didn't really understand that response very well. And it's okay if we don't either. I think it has something to do with how we will never err in our action if we are following Jesus. If Jesus says, go back, go back, even if they were about to stone you there. Don't go if he doesn't. But if he says go, go. Verse 11. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake... I am glad I was not there. Why? So that you may, what? Believe. But let us go there. 
I'm glad I wasn't there. I'm glad he died. Why? So that you may believe. Verse 16. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of his disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Sort of comically noble, isn't it? But in truth, it's a a revelation of a lack of understanding. Do you ever feel like Jesus is doing it wrong? Come on, Lord, you're doing it wrong. But because you're such a loyal disciple, you go anyway? Well, I guess that's commendable. But here's the thing. Suspecting that Jesus is doing it wrong is a good way to look foolish in the end. That's just a little warning there. Thomas will become famous for his doubting later on. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here... My brother would not have died. Is it a touch of reproach in her voice? Do you hear that? Probably it's mostly pain and sorrow in her voice, but have you ever prayed like that? I'm not picking on her here. I'm just making this a real experience. Probably it's mostly pain and sorrow, but but in her next word, is there actually a spark of hope? Verse 22, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now I want you to notice what's happening here in this interchange. Jesus is talking to Martha. And he makes the statement, Jesus will rise again. And immediately, Martha's mind goes to what she knows, goes to the teaching, goes to the theology and to the hope contained within it. But Jesus does not want to lead her mind to what she knows. Jesus wants to lead her mind to who she knows. Today's encounter is not about the teaching and theology she has. Today's encounter is about putting confidence in Jesus. And her comment becomes the setup for a grand claim of Jesus. John 11, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. What does that even mean? Do we really understand a phrase like that? I mean, isn't resurrection a thing? How can Jesus be the resurrection and the life? Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Okay, even this is a little confusing, isn't it? They'll live though they die, and whoever lives will never die. Well, I think it's clearly a statement about an eternal reality. Here's the thing. Sometimes we pick on Martha 
believing that she got schooled once because she was grousing about Mary. Remember that story? And we even use her name sometimes as an illustration of something negative. Don't be a Martha. Okay, I want to turn that around today. Today I want to tell you, do be a Martha. And here's the reason. Martha gets it. Okay, maybe she didn't get it right that other time, but on this day, she gets it. Not that she gets and understands everything Jesus is saying. Nobody ever does. No, instead, Martha understands who Jesus is and why that matters. You see, Martha has already understood the purpose for which this book of John will be written. Watch this. John 11, verse 27. Yes, Lord, she replied, I understand completely what you're saying, and it makes sense to me. Is that what she said? No, but isn't that how we always want it to be? Why can't faith just be what I already understand and know is going to happen? No, that's not the confession of Martha. Listen to it. Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. Now, here's the point I want you to see today. It isn't most important that we understand everything Jesus has said. Time brings clarity. Read it, learn it, Try to understand it. Yes, it matters, but the most important thing isn't that you have clearly understood everything Jesus has said. What is most important is that you know who Jesus is and what that identity means. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of the Living God, come into the world to save us. Anyone who believes anything short of this is not truly believing in Jesus. The righteous teacher Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. Yeah, he was a righteous teacher. But more important than understanding what he taught is understanding who he is and putting your faith in him. And anyone who teaches contrary to this truth of the identity of Jesus is, according to John in 2 John verse 7, a deceiver and an antichrist. So here's the question. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Now, Jesus is going to have a similar encounter with Mary, though not all the words are going to be spoken. And Jesus will go to the tomb of Lazarus with the sisters, and he will, as he stands there, find himself overcome with grief, which will prompt an interesting response from the gathered crowd. John 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. Then the Jews say, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? 
They're confused. They're remembering what happened in just two chapters ago. The assumption behind the confusion is this. Jesus' primary purpose is to make life good for his friends and followers. Could not he who have opened the blind man's eyes not have saved his friend? I mean, here he is crying. What a waste. What's wrong with this guy? Doesn't he know how to make life good for his friends? But there's another purpose at play. Jesus' purpose was to glorify the Father and save humanity from eternal ruin, even if doing so caused emotional, spiritual, and physical pain to himself and, hold on, to his followers. Jesus' purpose was to bring glory to God even if it hurt him and even if it hurt his followers. Verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may, what, believe that you sent me. It's all about believing. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. If you can't believe in Jesus based on what he says, can you believe in him based on what he does? This particular chapter of the Bible, John chapter 11, will forever hold a staggering place in our Patterson family story. Now, many of you know why, but some of you may not. Four years ago this month, our second oldest son, Nathan, for all practical purposes, died on his bed in the night. Now, I don't have time today to tell you that story in detail. And in truth, what I want to tell you isn't so much about what happened that night to Nathan, but rather what happened to his older brother, Gable, for four days in a row before that night. You see, Gable was at that point getting up each morning and having a very intentional Bible study time. And Gable has a very sensitive heart, sensitive to the leading of the Spirit, much like his mother. And he was getting up in the mornings and saying, Lord, where would you have me read today? And, and going wherever he felt the Lord was directing him in Scripture. Whether you think that's a good strategy or not, watch what happened. 
Four days before this happened, he got up one morning and said, Lord, where would you have me go? And he felt like God put on his heart, read John chapter 11. So, okay, he opened up his Bible, read John chapter 11. Oh, that's a great story of how Lazarus was brought to life. But, but these words really stuck out to him. It said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And then also these words, your brother will rise again. Now, he didn't tell me that that day. It didn't seem important that day until the next day when he got up and said, Lord, what would you have me read in my Bible this morning? And he felt like the Lord said, John 11. Okay, so he went and read it again. And he got up on the third morning and he said, Lord, what would you have me read in my Bible today? And the Lord said, John 11. And Gabriel said, I kind of know that one. Read it again. And always these words, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And then one more morning he got up and the Lord said, read John 11. And that night, he would be the one sleeping in the room next to his brother that would hear his brother's last breaths and wake up and come wake us up, which led to the events that saved his life. If you were here at that time, Do you remember the impact that Nathan's story had on your life? If you were here those years ago. I remember that Sabbath. We were at the hospital with him, up in his room, and Heather McGray led the services in a special prayer for us. And you all prayed for us on that day. And we felt lifted by your prayers that day as we sat in his hospital room with him still comatose and not responding. And you all sent us texts. Texts of your prayers and your good wishes. You prayed that day with faith in your heart, believing that God's Son could still work miracles. Do you remember that day and how the story impacted your life and how his miraculous recovery built up your faith? Were God's words to Gable fulfilled in this place? This sickness will not end in death. Well, yeah, it didn't. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Was God's Son glorified in your life through that experience? It's always complex, isn't it? As we saw in John chapter 9, what opens the eyes of some shuts the eyes of others. So it was with Lazarus' story, and probably it's the same way with Nathan's story. John 11, verse 45, Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. 
But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. The very same signs that open the eyes of faith to some close the eyes of others. Are you a believer? Is that belief centered in the identity of Jesus? Not in your understanding of Scripture, not in a philosophy of God, but centered in the identity of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, come into the world to save the world. Have you seen enough in your life to believe this? Have you heard his voice enough to know to follow? If Jesus brought someone back from the dead, would you believe? Let's pray. Father in heaven, give us eyes that see. Give us ears that hear. Give us hearts that believe and minds that ever seek understanding. We put our faith in you. In your name, amen.